covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. Welcome in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley, and this is a big episode today because it is essentially the opening day episode of uh, Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are recording this on Sunday night. We're, uh, as I record this, about 15 hours out from Brewers opening day at Miller Park. Don't worry if you are listening to this right now and uh, opening day has already taken place. We're going to keep the program uh, generic enough that uh, nothing that could happen on opening day will uh, affect the the timeliness of what you might hear during the course of the program. We got a number of things to get to. Of course, we'll have our uh, two guests, as we generally have, uh, during our social media roundtable for the first time. We are going to uh, welcome in Tim Muma. He is a uh, writer for uh, Dairyland Express, which is part of the fan-sided network. And then later on in the program, we are going to uh, welcome in the uh, the longtime, very talented voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, Chris Maring, as uh, they are going to get their season started coming up on Thursday of this week. They'll have their first home game in Appleton coming up on Saturday. So those are the guests that are coming on. Uh, we'll go through the rosters. We do the headlines of the week. Really, uh, the, the big headlines today are the roster coming together. And also uh, an injury that took uh, that uh, uh, that occurred, a kind of the the fallout from that injury. We'll get to all that coming up in just a few moments when we get to our headlines of the week. However, I want to touch on what's really kind of the biggest story going into the season, and in what has been a very very positive spring training and positive camp for the Brewers. This is one of the first things that has happened that's been somewhat negative, and it has to do with Brewers relief pitcher Tyler Cravey. Now, last year, Cravey was pretty good. He came up to uh, the big leagues and gave good numbers after having good numbers uh, at uh, at AAA. In fact, uh, last year, in 18 relief outings for the Brewers, he uh, posted a .81 ERA. Going into this year, he knew it was going to be a competition for one of those spots in the bullpen. He pitched pretty well in spring training, had a 2.03 ERA. So, I, I mean, that's good. I'm, I'm not trying to, to downplay anything that he did. He had a good spring training. Uh, but it, the the numbers just didn't work out. The business of baseball didn't work out. Look, there's the way baseball works is sometimes, sometimes you get opportunities or you don't get opportunities based off having minor league options and, and what you're, you know, where you were drafted and stuff like that. And not just at the big league level. These are decisions that are made in the minor league level as well. So he gets sent down to AAA. Now let me preface this by saying I think we're going to see Tyler Cravey back at the big league level sooner than later. If this season is all like last season, uh, these guys were coming up and down. I mean, they used a ton, a ton of guys last year. So, and this is why maybe sometimes if you're emotional, you just need to kind of slow yourself down and not say anything. You know, people always say, don't write an email angry. Well, it's kind of the same, the same thing here. If you're, if you're a professional ball player, you might not want to do a media session after just finding out you'd been sent down to AAA after you put up pretty good numbers in spring training. So this was the quote from Tyler Cravey, again, to be totally 100% fair for him. This is what he had to say immediately after finding out that he had been sent down. Quote, I'd rather just find a 9-to-5 job where I get treated like a human at this point. It would be just nice to have the honesty straight up front instead of, hey, you're competing for a job, and then to literally out-compete everyone and be told, sorry, we have other plans. It's tough. It says a lot about the integrity or lack thereof of the guys running the show. But what are you going to do? All you can do is put up numbers, and sometimes it's not enough, unquote. He followed that up a little while later on Twitter, and we'll get to the follow-up here in a moment or so. But just to that, you, me, you know, whatever it might be, for, for most of us, if we go to a very public forum and we accuse our bosses 
of having a lack of integrity, most of us are not going to have a job very much after that. Now, this is a little bit different. And again, emotions frazzled at the time. So he realized uh, what he had said and the, the blowback from it. So he then followed that up on Saturday night with a tweet. And in the tweet, he said, quote, My comments to the media today were a result of pure raw emotion just minutes after I had been told I'd been cut for a reason I'm still not aware of. Did I say some things that I shouldn't have? Probably. Did I say some things that offended people? Probably. What comments don't nowadays? For that, I apologize. Do I regret any of it? Absolutely not. I'm human, and I spoke up for myself. When I felt I was being treated unfairly, uh, next time I'll be more aware that my comments aren't too detrimental to anybody. I don't plan on quitting. Anybody that knows me knows I am the, and then he goes, all caps, ultimate competitor, goes back to low caps, in anything and everything I do, not just my job, I will continue to work hard and let my performance do the talking. So this was a this was a literal sorry, not sorry. Do I regret any of this? Absolutely not. After saying for that, I apologize. Generally, you apologize for stuff that you regret doing, but that, that's not for. We don't need to talk about that right here. That's that's not part of this conversation and this narrative that we're trying to get to. I guess the thing that really struck me here, uh, first off, uh, in his first quote, he said. Um, he said, you're, hey, you're, you were told, hey, you're competing for a job and then to literally outcompete everyone and be told, sorry, we have other plans. Now, when he uses the term outcompete, I assume it's, uh, you could also say outperform. I think those, you could use those terms, uh, interchangeably. I would argue that he didn't outperform everybody. And look, this is not supposed to be a let's bash Tyler Cravey session. That's not what I'm doing here. Uh, and, because Cravey, again, had a very good spring training. But to use the term outcompete everybody, I think that's a little bit disingenuous. Because Cravey, 1-0, 2.03 ERA, 11 appearances, 13 and a third innings, 3 runs, 5 earned, 11 strikeouts, and 3 walks in spring training. Rob Scahill, 0. 0.70, uh, 0. 0.73 ERA. In 12 appearances. So his ERA is one and a quarter points lower in one more appearance. 12 and a third innings compared to, let's see, Cravey through 13 and a third, Scahill 12 and a third, so just less. And Scahill gives up one run on nine hits with eight strikeouts and one walk compared to Cravey, who gives up the three runs on five hits with 11 strikeouts and three walks. So higher ERA, more runs given up, worse strikeout-to-walk ratio. This isn't meant to be a let's bash Tyler Cravey session, as I said, but it is meant to say there were guys, or at least there were there was a guy who pitched better than him in spring training who did not make the roster. Now, if we're being completely fair about things, part of the reason Scahill doesn't make the roster, he's not on the 40-man roster. He would have had to be added to the 40-man. They end up signing Jared Hughes. We'll talk about that more coming up in our headlines. But they're, because they sign Hughes, there's not room for him on the 40-man roster. So you can sit there and say, well, that's then that doesn't count. That's the reason Scahill didn't make the team. It's because he didn't uh, didn't have a spot on the 40-man roster. Well, you can make the exact same argument that, okay, well, the reason that they sent Cravey down was because he has options. So they have the ability to send him down. It all falls under the, the umbrella of the business of baseball. And I feel bad for Tyler Cravey. I do. I, I hope he keeps a good attitude. I hope he refocuses and, and gets things going and puts up good numbers as he does and, and has over the last couple of years at AAA. And he's going to be a part of this ball club moving forward. I said this, I was hosting a Wisconsin Sports Weekend on Sunday on WTMJ, and I made the point that, you know, baseball in some ways is kind of like being a kid and growing up. When you're a kid and you're growing up, you get more and more responsibilities and privileges as you get older and older, and you earn those and everything. 
when you're a baseball player, it starts out, you sign, you're completely under club control. They control how much money you make. Uh, they, you know, just the whole process. And then you become arbitration eligible and you get a little bit of control. And then you become an unrestricted free agent and you get control. And, you know, then you stick with one team for five years and you're in the league for 10 years and you have full no trade protection. I mean, so, so it works the same way. So while it stinks for him that he's not going to be there, as he continues on his career, it's not always going to be like this. And organizations and teams aren't going to be able to do the same thing. You know, last year there was a bit of a there was unhappiness with Zach Davies when right around the All Star break uh, he was pitching really well, but they sent him down to AAA Colorado Springs to to just get uh, a side session in and continue to throw a bit while everybody else was able to enjoy the All-Star break. Also saved the organization a little bit of money because he wasn't making the money that you make as being part uh, of the, the Major League roster during that period. That's something that could be done because Davies was still fairly young in terms of the club control. It's just the way things work. I feel really bad for Tyler Cravey, but in the same sense, it's it's baseball. And until... You know, until the Baseball Players Association steps in and, and tries to give more rights to younger players, which they're never going to do, they want to protect themselves uh, and, and protect the, the veteran-type players. It's just the way baseball's going to be. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, this week's Headlines of the Week. Uh, first off, earlier in the week, Scooter Jeanette gets picked up by the Cincinnati Reds as uh, he is claimed. He was uh, he was designated by uh, the Brewers or put on waivers by the Brewers, and he was picked up by the Cincinnati Reds. It was a it was a good experiment to try to get him to be a utility guy and find a spot on the roster for him. He had a great attitude about it, as he always does. Scooter Jeanette's been one of my favorite players with the Brewers just to deal with. Uh, he he's always has time for everybody. He's a good guy. It, 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 I keep using the word stinks here on the program. It stinks that he's not around. But just from a number standpoint, it didn't make sense anymore. I think you look at the roster and you have a hard time finding who he should be on the roster instead of. There's just... There's just not a place. I mean, you could take one less uh, relief pitcher and put him on, but even at that point, you had other guys who were pushing for for that spot as well. So sorry to see Scooter Jeanette go. Uh, Great that he gets an opportunity with Cincinnati and certainly hope that he is able to turn that opportunity into a whole lot of playing time with the Reds. And he grew up in the Cincinnati area, so it's pretty cool as well for him that he gets to kind of go to the team that he grew up rooting for. And we'll see him a lot in uh, Milwaukee all the times that the Cincinnati Reds do come into town. Uh, And, you know, a lot of people were complaining about the fact that they weren't able to make a trade for him. I promise you, yeah, they've been trying to trade him since the end of last year. It's not easy to make a trade. And if if there would have been a trade partner out there for Scooter Jeanette, they David Stearns would have found him. You know, a, you got to find somebody who's willing to trade with you and you got you have to get something from them that's worth more than something you currently have in the organization. And sometimes that's easier said than done. Not that the not that the Brewers need to trim payroll at this point. I mean they're they're okay in that area uh, in terms of uh, where that payroll is at. It's pretty darn low. But the one thing you do get out of this, the fact that he was claimed and he doesn't pass all the way through waivers, is that uh, they pick up the entire salary, which wasn't a ton of money, two and a half million dollars, I think it was. But uh, but he moves on. Now. A guy that they go pick up, and I think this could turn into a really, really good pickup, is Jared Hughes. And this is another, just to go back to Scooter for just one quick moment, but I think this is a good example of, you know, trades aren't so easy. Uh, Jared Hughes over the last few years, last year he had a 3.03 ERA in 67 games. That's pretty good. 2015, a 2.28 ERA in 76 games. That's really good. 2014, 1.96 ERA in 63 games. I mean, this guy has had solid numbers in back-to-back-to-back years. And 
the Pirates couldn't find a trade partner for him. So it just goes to show that it's not as easy to trade guys, even guys who have value, as you might think it is. But nonetheless, uh, he didn't have a great spring training. His numbers were a little less than what they would have liked him to be. And uh, he he gets let go by the Pirates. He is picked up. So we, we kind of had a sense. You know, Last year it was Carlos Torres right at the end of spring training. Kind of had that sense that the Brewers would make a move before the regular season got started. And there's your move right there. Right-handed pitcher Jared Hughes made his big league debut in uh, 2011, has appeared in 313 major league games, has a career 2.82 ERA, is just, you know, profiles out to be somebody that can really help this club and looking forward to seeing what he might be able to do. So here is your roster going into the season. From a pitching standpoint, uh, the starters go like this. Junior Guerra, he's, of course, the opening day starter. He'll be uh, followed by uh, Zach Davies, Willie Peralta, Chase Anderson makes the team as a uh, starting pitcher, as does Jimmy Nelson. So those are your five starters. The relief pitchers on the team, Jacob Barnes makes it, and he's a guy who struggled. He certainly struggled in spring training, so much so that I was a bit surprised that he made the team. If there was one guy that, you know, and this maybe a little bit goes back to what Tyler Cravey was saying before, but if there's one guy who maybe didn't pitch as well as you would have liked him to pitch in spring training and still made the team, it's Jacob Barnes. But they're also basing that off uh, what, what he did last season where he was so good. So Jacob Barnes, Neftali Feliz is your closer. Uh, Jared Hughes makes the team. We just talked about him. Taylor Youngman, so far he successfully uh, makes the conversion from starting pitcher to relief pitcher. He's going to be someone to watch, though. There's pressure on him to perform uh, early on. And if he doesn't perform, what happens with him? Because he's such a mess when he goes to uh, Colorado Springs. Corey Knable, Jan Mariñez, Tommy Malone, he's your one left-hander, and then uh, the veteran Carlos Torres. Of all those guys, Barnes, Davies, Guerra, Knable, and Mariñez, they are all uh, on an opening day roster for the first time. Your two catchers are Jet Bandy and Manny Pena. Craig Council said that he's going to kind of let it organically happen to see who's going to sort of be the number one catcher and who's the number two catcher. Can't really say it's going to be a straight platoon. Just going to wait and see what happens. I'm guessing that Manny Pena is going to start on Monday on opening day, but there's no guarantee that's going to happen. In fact, you might be listening to this right now after opening day and go, nope. He was wrong. It was Bandy who started, so we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see. By the way, Bandy and Pena both making opening day rosters for the first time in their careers. From an infielder standpoint, you have Jesus Aguilar. He's a backup first baseman. Orlando Arcia. He'll be the shortstop. Both both those guys making opening day rosters for the first time. Travis Shaw is your third baseman. Eric Thames, your first baseman. Jonathan VR is at second. And Aaron Perez is technically listed as an infielder. He can play anywhere. Four outfielders make the team in left field, Ryan Braun. In center field, Keon Broxton. In right field, Domingo Santana. And then Kirk Neuenheis makes the team. And he'll uh, be somebody who can play any of those outfield positions when there's a need. Of course, we'll see Perez in the outfield a little bit. We'll even see Eric Thames in the outfield. There will be times where Jesus Aguilar gets the start at first base and they play Eric Thames in the outfield. So it's good to have versatility on this team. Two guys start the season on the disabled list, catcher Andrew Susak, who is in that competition with uh, Bandy, uh, Bandy and Pena to start the year or to start spring training. Uh, he's going to be out for a while. And then Matt Garza. And that's our final headline of the week, the situation with Matt Garza. When I first heard that Matt Garza was going to start the season on the disabled list, I'll be honest with you, I thought they found an injury. And what I mean by that is you can go on almost any athlete and you can find something wrong with them. And look, I'm not... I'm not breaking any news here when I say that sometimes teams, and it doesn't matter what the sport is, sometimes teams utilize that to buy themselves a little bit of time. And the Brewers obviously did not want to uh, walk away from Matt Garza yet. So I thought, okay, and and they're going through this process right now of kind of converting him from being a fastball-heavy pitcher to somebody who relies more on breaking stuff. So my, my thought process was they found something. Not not saying they made something up. I'm saying they found something. But I I backed off that 
because Garza met with the media at Miller Park on Thursday. And he got emotional. He got so emotional that they cut the media session short and the the public relations staff for the Brewers even made sure that you know cameras were not rolling anymore. That's how emotional Garza was. And you know, last time I checked, he wasn't an actor. He wasn't somebody who was just going to go try to you know find a way to create fake tears to to develop sympathy or to sell a story even more. So to me, it his reaction to it kind of legitimized it. Now. The bottom line is, for Matt Garza, and to the Brewers, kind of, but for Matt Garza, the injury is actually a blessing. The The word on the street was that he was going to start the season in the starting rotation and that Chase Anderson was going to be in the bullpen. So that maybe that's true. I guess it is true. That seems to be what was being said. But he had done nothing in spring training to really deserve the spot in the starting rotation. And with Chase Anderson sitting there in the bullpen, even Tommy Malone, there was going to be pressure on Garza to pitch well because if he's not pitching well, Anderson's right there and he can move right into the rotation. So as they go through this attempted conversion of turning him from a a fastball-focused pitcher into more of a breaking ball guy, they need some more time. There just wasn't enough time in spring training for him to have the results on that. So he has the injury. Maybe he's shut down for two, three weeks. And then after that, he gets to go on a minor league rehab assignment. And that thing can last up to a month. And guess what? You can work on things during that period. If I'm the Brewers, I send him to Biloxi. I don't, I don't, I don't send him to Colorado Springs because you, you can't really work on breaking stuff in the, in the high altitude. I sent him to Biloxi, and I spend a month there working on trying to get him to do what, what you want him to do. And then you bring him up, and you see what happens at that point. And that's his shot. It's probably his last shot at that point. But there was just, again, there was just nothing from spring training that indicated he was going to be ready to go for 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 the beginning of the season and be able to be a, a contributing member of the starting rotation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue. My name is Matt Pauley. Uh, we're about to welcome in somebody who we have not yet uh, talked to on the program as it is time for our Social Media Roundtable. He is a writer over at uh, Dairyland Express, which is just a, a fantastic website. It's part of the fan-sided network, and uh, they cover all Wisconsin athletics. But, of course, uh, we'll focus in on the Brewers today. It is uh, Tim Muma who joins us. Tim, appreciate the time. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I appreciate you having me on the show, man. Yeah, it's, and this is a fun episode. It's the last episode before uh, opening day. Some folks might be listening to it uh, a day or two after, but we'll be pretty general as we go about things. Uh, first and foremost, though, uh, the the big news of the last 24 hours were the somewhat inflammatory comments by uh, pitcher Tyler Cravey after he gets sent down to AAA. He backed off him to a certain extent on Twitter, but didn't completely back down from them. Uh, you or me, if we go and call our bosses di- dishonest people uh, in a very public uh, space, we're, we probably don't have jobs anymore, but uh, he still has a job. But what's your takeaway from everything he said? Well, you know, I, I can see both sides. I completely get it. Uh, you know, I think even David Stearns had said, look, there's emotion that goes into it. It was kind of raw right after it happened. Um, it happened to him last year at the end of spring where, where Cravey got, uh, you know, sent down. So I, I understand that side of it and the emotional side. On the other hand, you know, a lot of people around are, are going to be thinking, you know, man, I would quit my 9-to-5 job to go pitch in the minor leagues, you know, for a long time. Not understanding that, hey, they don't really get paid much and it is a grind and to be that close to your dream and not get there, at least consistently, that can be tough. Um, I know I've heard from some people that there's concern around the league that maybe the Brewers are getting a, a reputation for, I don't, I don't want to say treating guys inhuman, like uh, Cravey kind of alluded to there, but, but looking at the stats and just, you know, 
hey, we're, we're going to pick up a guy, we're going to release a guy, and I guess there could be some concern if you're talking about non-roster invitees and stuff like that. Uh, but I think, you know, he'll be back up. As you said, he kind of backed off a little bit. Uh, he said he's going to contemplate things, uh, you know, a, a little while. Um, but if he stays in the organization, I'm sure he'll be up throughout the course of the year. As you know, both ends are so volatile. And, and he did do a good job in spring. He's done a nice job when he's been up with the club. Um, you know, hopefully it, it doesn't hurt him because I think he can help. But maybe the Brewers do make a decision that in the long run it's, it's just not the spot for him anymore. Here was my only uh, – I had a few issues with it, but but the one that stood out the most to me was – he wasn't even the next guy to make the team. Rob Scahill pitched so well, and I know he had to go on the forty-man roster, and but and they couldn't have signed Hughes and everything. But if if you were only going based off results, wasn't Scahill more deserving than Cravey? Yeah, there are a couple guys uh, you could argue that were ahead of him. I mean, I was surprised Scahill, you know, didn't stay with the club, although he did accept you know the minor league uh, uh, option there. So. Um, Again, spring training stats are so tough. Scahill, as you said, he has some major league success as well. Uh, I was even surprised, you know, they're going with the extra pitcher. It's obviously because they only have one off day in their first 24 games, I want to say it is. Um, so, yeah, I get what you're saying. That he kind of came out and said he outpitched everyone else, and that's not necessarily true because, uh, as you said, Scahill is up there. And to have a guy like Hughes available, and for the Brewers, this is what they're doing right now. They're going out and grabbing these guys, and he's get, definitely going to be helpful uh, with the major league pen, uh, big ground ball pitchers. So uh, I'm with you on that. I, again, I can see both sides. I would lean toward toward what you're saying. And there were other guys that were ahead of you. And this is unfortunately the way it goes. You know that going into this profession, and and you're just gonna have to deal with it at times. I got to give you credit because uh, you wrote about this. Man, it, spring training was so long this year. It seems like it was almost a couple months ago. But uh, you had a piece of, uh, that, that talked about Scooter Jeanette and why he doesn't fit with the club. And lo and behold, he ends up being uh, designated, released, and he gets picked up off waivers uh, by the Cincinnati Reds. So uh, to you, I'm guessing it was no surprise on what happened with Scooter? It was only a surprise because you heard nothing other than all these good things. And obviously that's part of playing the game of, of trying to market his value a little bit and, and see if anybody would bite on a trade. And they didn't, which I think says a lot that, uh, you know, they ended up just putting him on waivers and, and then he got claimed. Uh, it, it's kind of similar to the Ricky Weeks situation. He'd only played one position. You'd never seen him play another one. I know Weeks declined to try out, you know, the outfield in different positions. And Jeanette at least was open and willing and gave it a shot. But, you know, he's just... He's just kind of a guy. He he was really subpar defensively, as much as some people might have liked him. He didn't have good speed. Uh, you know, yeah, he'd run a decent left-handed bat off the bench, but as Stearns and company said, it just it just really it wasn't a good fit. He wasn't going to have a bat. And I think what's actually a great sign is that he said, yeah, we could have sent him down, but he wouldn't have had a bat there either because they have so much talent in the minor league that he doesn't fit the bill. And you can see all the guys that they brought in and they're looking to draft. A lot of versatility. Uh, you know, guys being able to play legitimately other positions. And, you know, Jeanette doesn't have the arm for third, really. doesn't have the range for short. The outfield, you know, it might have been okay, but you'd be afraid he cost you a game on an easy fly ball or a ball, you know, a regular outfielder would catch. So I just I didn't see it happening. As we got closer to the end of spring training, I, I was surprised he was still around. I thought, well, okay, he might make the team. But then when they finally made that decision, I was like, okay, I guess I should have trusted my gut because, you know, like you said a couple months ago, I was like, this just doesn't work for the Brewers. Now, it's, I always think it's interesting because people, look, there was there was a bit of an outcry this past week. I had it uh, on my Thursday night show on WTMJ. I saw it on Twitter. The, the old adage from people saying, well, how in the world could you let Scooter Jeanette walk away and not get anything for him? You referred to him as just a guy, which I, I think is, a you know, we all love Scooter Jeanette for the kind of guy he is and the accessibility and the quotes and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Like, this takes nothing away from who he is as a human being, but as a baseball player, he is just kind of you know he's a, he's a solid major league baseball player no more uh no less i think we saw it with jared hughes you know he's had a three or so era or below in the last mm-hmm. three years he walks away for nothing scooter Jeanette isn't traded it's not as easy to make trades i think as maybe the average fan out there thinks it is do do you kind of see where i'm going i agree with that oh yeah for sure i mean i I'm sure every fan would love, or at least the hardcore ones love, to be in the war room, so to speak, and hear the phone calls and see how that breaks down and, you know, how close is the guy to getting traded or, or why don't they get something for Scooter Jeanette? It seems like it'd be so easy, like you said. And 
I think some of that comes down to playing fantasy sports or video games. I mean, I'm in that boat too, where it seems like, oh, you just keep adding some value and then, and then you get something good back. Uh, but the reality is, Everyone else around the league knows exactly what he is, a guy like Spitterjean. They know what he is. They know what he can do. I think the Brewers really were trying to showcase him a little bit to, to see if a team would bite and give a little bit more for what would be seen as a utility player, which is obviously valuable, especially in the National League. Uh, but I, I'm right with you. I mean, it, it even goes back to the idea of like the, the J.J. Hardy and, and Gomez trade uh, you know, at the time because they're like, really, it's all we could get for the guy? And, and then it actually turns out pretty well for the Brewers. But the reality is it's, it's difficult. I mean, all these teams, they have their plan, they have their agendas, uh, they have financial considerations, their minor league systems. So, so much goes into it. And I would, I would just love to be in that room over the course of an offseason to, to hear what goes on. And uh, as you said, it, it's just it's way more difficult than what people think it is. Uh, we're, we're talking with uh, Tamima from uh, Dairyland Express. Uh, the... I, you're very positive on the Brewers, and, and you think that they're going to do maybe better than all than a lot of folks out there think they are. And I I lean more towards your side of things than towards the other side of thing. And that's why I want to read this quote to you. Uh, Gene Miller, our morning show host on WTMJ, recently wrote a blog, and he quoted a uh, a scout from a recent Sports Illustrated article. I guess it was the the preview of this year's baseball season, and the anonymous scout says, "quote." This is one of the worst staffs in baseball. Junior Guerra, their number one, is probably a five on a lot of clubs, unquote. Here's a guy who's got a really good ERA last year. I think it was 2.71. That split finger pitch is is one of the nastiest pitches out there. I mean, that single pitch Mm -hmm. is borderline unhittable. What does it say about the Brewers, about someone who like like Junior Guerra, who I think people like us who are fairly close to it realize how good he is, but here's these folks outside of this area just, you know, talking about him barely being good enough to be a number five starter for a lot of clubs. It's a little surprising. And I know you can have your one year wonders, but to your point, I mean he was he was terrific for, you know, ninety percent of the season, at least when he was up. Uh, and you mentioned that split finger. I think that's such a weapon because so many clubs, they, they avoid uh, teaching their guys or having guys throw that pitch too much because of the high injury risk. Uh, but, you know, a guy like, like Guerra, who's really, even though he's a, you know, he's inexperienced when it comes to pitching in the big leagues, but for him, his career, he's like, hey, I got to do what I, I can to make it here. The Brewers are going to take a chance on a guy like that. Um, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere. Maybe people had heard of him around baseball, but they weren't really high on him. So I get where there can be concern with someone like him or, or uncertainty. And you hate to play the small market card, you know, the idea that even guys way back in the day, like Mauder and Yount, didn't get their due because you're playing in Milwaukee. And if they're in New York, they're in huge stars. And maybe the same thing with Gary. You'd have got more attention if he was in a bigger city. Uh, but it is a wait and see. I mean, I think everyone's a little unsure. It, can he repeat it? Was it a thing where, okay, one time through the league, two times through the league, and he can kind of fool guys. Uh, and then, you know, people are going to be like, well, look what happened in the spring training. He started getting hit. Now, again, it's, it's spring. You don't know what he's throwing and, and how that all plays out. But uh, I think there is some uncertainty. I'm positive that he'll be solid. Same thing with Zach Davies. The rest of the rotation, I completely get it. I, there are a lot of question marks. I trust the offense way more than the pitching. But, this is where we're at right now. Um, I think the Brewers, their ceiling could be really high even this year, and they could bottom out. And that's just kind of the way it goes right now when you have a lot of young guys or you have veterans who maybe they didn't get the chance earlier in their careers, and, and now you just see what they have and you roll with it. You had a piece recently that kind of uncovered a, a number that uh, the Brewers might eclipse this year that's only been done once. In 1996, uh, the Colorado Rockies, and that was uh, right in the middle of them having that, that lineup that could just hit the ball out of the yard over and over and yeah. over. But uh, they had 221 home runs that year and 201 steals. If the, the the Brewers almost had that last year, and if you get some some improvement uh, from, from certain guys and a full year of key on Broxton on the bases and things like that, it might it might end up that the Brewers get the 200-200 and become just the second team in Major League Baseball history to do that. How impressive would that be to you if that happens? I think it's a sign of, again, the talent that's being built. And there's no guarantee that it's going to win them a bunch of games. I want to say that Rockies team was 83-79, and 79, if, I, if I recall correctly, uh, which I would be the winning record. And if the Brewers did that this year, everyone would be ecstatic. Uh, but I think it also speaks to the type of player 
that Stearns and the Brewers are going after. It's athletes. It's big guys who can run, who can be versatile. Uh, they can hit for some power, but they can also run the bases. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of a throwback in a way to some of the guys you would think in the past who were like your MVPs because uh, as we got into like the 90s, especially, you're talking about you either had the big hulking guys or you had your, you know, your small second baseman, speedy center fielder. Um, but I, I think it would be uh, just a great sign and an idea of where the Brewers are headed. Uh, it also kind of speaks to Craig Council and the philosophy they have right now is, look, we're going to create runs any way we can. And, you know, around the league, stolen bases especially have, have kind of been looked down upon with the idea of sabermetrics and it's not worth the risk of getting out from the bases. So the Brewers see it as an opportunity because they have guys like, obviously, as you mentioned, Broxton, Arcia can run, VR, of course, who led the league last year. Ron still can steal bases. You think that like Yernan Perez? I mean, it's pretty impressive what they've stacked there. Um, so the question might then come with the power. You have guys you're unsure of with Thames coming over from Korea. Um, even Shaw, though he's looked pretty good, obviously, in the spring here. Um, but it, it would just be great to see that. I mean, the idea of this power-speed combination, you don't see that all that much. Um, maybe a handful of guys throughout the league that you can really look at who do that nowadays. Uh, but for me, the biggest thing is it's a sign of what the Brewers could be and how they could take advantage of some other teams and somehow produce enough runs this year and going forward uh, to really make things exciting despite maybe a subpar pitching staff. And one more thing on that Rockies comparison. With all due respect to everybody stepping to the plate for the Brewers this year, they don't have Andres Galarraga, Larry Walker, and Dante Bichette standing in. I mean, they could accomplish this feat with a group of players who are much less respected than than that middle of the order for the Rockies. Well, it's interesting, too, because I think it would be more for the Brewers that it kind of be a consistent up and down the lineup. You're not going to have, I don't anticipate, anybody hitting 40, you know, 45 home runs, which I think a couple of those guys in Colorado did. Plus, of course, they're playing at Coors, and as great as their friendly park, Miller Park is, uh, Coors, as everyone knows, is, is just ridiculous, especially back then before they were you know, doing anything to manipulate the baseballs. But, yeah, I mean, that would be, you know, Braun obviously still has a re- uh, name recognition, but other than that, as you said, it, it's up-and-comers, it's people, guys, you know, fans don't really know about. Uh, in a way, to your point, it'd be even more impressive. It also probably makes it less like it's going to happen, but as you said, I tend to be a little more positive, especially early in the season. And I'm not trying to, you know, pull the wool over anybody's eyes or anything, but I really think it's a possibility with the athletes they brought in and with the type of players. Uh, so I think people are going to be surprised in a positive way. You uh, you put together your five fearless predictions for 2017. We're talking with uh, Tim Muma from Dairyland Express here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Your first one, and this kind of goes to what we were just talking about, your first fearless prediction is the Brewers finish top 10 in runs scored in Major League Baseball. That'd be... That'd be quite the feat if it uh, if it happens, and I know the fearless predictions. Maybe you push things out a little bit further than 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 what you actually think they are. Or maybe you don't. I mean, talk talk to me about this a little bit and the idea of them being that good offensively. Well, the first thought behind it was, you know, spring training. A lot of times, people are going to look down upon the numbers and say, "Well, it doesn't mean anything." And you know, just in looking back, as far as individuals, it might be hard to gauge if this guy's going to be this good or bad or whatever happens. But from a team standpoint, from what I looked at, it's kind of 50-50. And just the way they hit the ball, and as we just talked about, the way they might steal some runs, stealing bases, being more aggressive, uh, I just see them being able to take advantage of teams and, you know, treating it a little bit like a market inefficiency, so to speak. You know, with Moneyball, the idea was the on-base percentage, and, and now coming back around with everybody kind of eyeing that as, as the ideal uh, ball player, uh, now you have to find other ways to do it, and I think that's what the Brewers are doing with the idea of, again, speed plus power. But they just have a mix. They have lefties and righties. They have contact guys and power guys. They have the speed, as we talked about. Uh, they play in a hitter-friendly park, which is definitely going to add up for that. Um, and you look at the fact that you didn't have, you know, Keon Broxton the whole year uh, last season. You didn't have Garcia the whole year. He might not be a stud hitter, but he's still going to contribute in a lot of ways. Thames uh, and Shaw. I have your left-handed hitters, especially at Miller Park with the short porch and right. I, it just seems like all these little things should add up to keep pushing them up and up and up. And 
you know, they might not get in the top ten. They were near the bottom of the league last year. I understand that. And to your point, these are, you know, these are kind of bold out there, pie in the sky kind of ideas. Not out of the realm of possibility, but they'd have to have things fall right. Uh, but that's just the way I see it. Um, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think the Cardinals and the Pirates are going to be as good. And then they have Cincinnati, who, in theory, they can be up on. So uh, if you just do a lot of little things right and keep adding to what they did last year, get some get some of the same seasons from guys, but in the full season capacity. Uh, that's where I see it going, at least hopefully. I guess I'm looking at a positive point of view. You also predicted six hitters to have an OPS of 800 or better. You mentioned Thames, Braun, VR, Santana, Broxton, and Shaw. I want to talk about the, the first and last guys that I just mentioned. Thames and Shaw, just based off spring, just based off where we're at right now, have your have your thoughts changed at all on either of those guys about confidence level of how they're going to be this year? Because uh, they're both kind of unknowns going into the year. Thames more of an, an unknown than Shaw, but I think both of them uh, – there are some unknown aspects to both of their games. Yeah, completely fair. And that's, you know, they're two guys that'll make a big difference. And if the Brewers are more toward their ceiling or more toward the basement as far as record and, and production this year, things is fascinating to me. Just the idea that, you know, he was mediocre at best when he started in the big leagues, went over to Korea and was essentially Babe Ruth over there and, you know, hitting the home runs all over the place, still 40 bases a couple of years ago. Uh, so in some ways better than Ruth. Uh, and then Shaw had his time in Boston. I've, I've heard and seen different accounts on some people really liking him, others saying he's he's nothing special, nothing to write home about. Uh, with Shaw, what intrigues me is that Fenway Park is actually a really bad park for left-handed power hitters. Uh, you think of the defense and right and then how deep it gets out toward right center before you get to the green monster. Uh, and Miller Park is one of the best. As I mentioned earlier, you got the, the short porch and right. Obviously, the ball going to carry better especially with the roof closed or in the middle of summer. Uh, so I think he's going to add a lot of power that he might not have been showing as much at Fenway. Uh, for Thames, I'm not sure about the power. It was a little concerning what he was looking like in spring training, but again, it's spring. You're not really sure individually where they're at and what they're trying to work on. But he brings an aspect of discipline and, and that on-base percentage. And, you know, I, Council have been hitting him a little bit in the two-hole, and I think he might be leaning that way uh, as far as consistently because, He'll be in front of Braun. He's a left-handed bat, and he does take and draw some walks. So if you get that combination of just a little bit of pop from Thames and his base, and then Shaw, if he can take advantage of right field in Miller Park versus Fenway, uh, that's again where I think just those minor increases in their production from their previous teams to now uh, would actually be something that helps the Brewers quite a bit. Maybe I'm in the minority on this, but I, I'm more worried about Eric Thames hitting doubles than home runs. I think, it, for for me, the, those Korea power numbers, there's just no way that they completely translate over here considering right. who he was facing. So if he can go be a doubles guy, I'd be pretty mm-hmm. happy with that. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I'd be happy if he got the 20 home runs. I know some people want to talk about 25, 30, and uh, you know, I agree with you that, that I think that's a little outside the realm of possibility. Um, I'm sure you've seen as much as any of the other hardcore people following the Brewers. They really create a double A. Uh, you know, they're not throwing as hard, which could be a big challenge here because obviously that's, that's big now. It's a big fastball you're seeing from guys. Um, but to your point, Miller Park is just in general a, a nice place for extra base hits. Um, I know Robin Yao, when he was a part of the design, he wanted to create some triples with those awkward corners out in the, in the power alleys. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if he can contribute, you know, you mentioned the idea of an 800 OPS. It doesn't have to come from home runs. It can be a combination of, you know, maybe a 350 on base, and then if he's hitting 20, 30 doubles on top of a handful of home runs, uh, that's where the, the OPS adds up between on base and slugging. Uh, I, I'd be happy with that. I'd be happy with the guy who's, and he should, be giving you better defense at first than Chris Carter. He's going to be a better base runner, gives you some versatility. And just the idea of having him and Shaw's left-handed bats in there, I think that's a big thing for the Brewers and the balance in their lineup. People can uh, read you, Tim, at uh, Dairyland Express, uh, Wisconsin Sports News and Opinion Site, uh, brought to you by uh, Fan Sided Network. What's the What's the plan as we get going here with uh, Brewer season? What can folks uh, read from you and from other uh, from other Brewers folks over at Dairyland Express? Well, for myself, I I try to somewhat take different perspectives. I try to mix in some traditional thinking with baseball uh, about adding some statistics in there. And um, I, I have a couple of sons who play baseball. I play myself. I coach. So 
I'm not going to be on there daily giving you some stuff, but you know, looking at like kind of a weekly perspective, seeing where things are going. And for the other writers on there, uh, you know, they do a great job too of looking to find kind of the in-between stuff. Uh, you know, places like you guys do a great job of, of covering the a lot of the stuff that people see right in front of them in the day-to-day. Uh, so we try to find something that's maybe a little different behind the scenes, a different stat, find a trend that, uh, you know, maybe some of the other people around can't or don't have time to look for. Well, uh, Tim, it's great to talk to you, and we're going to make you a, uh, a regular participant here uh, on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Uh, enjoy opening day. Enjoy the first week of the season, and we'll get you back on here very, very soon. That would be awesome. I truly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. That is Tim Muma joining us. He is a writer for Dairyland Express. That's part of the fan-sided network, DairylandExpress.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma. You spell that M-U-M-A. So it's Tim underscore M-U-M-A. Make sure to check him out and everything that they're doing over at Dairyland Express. Just some fantastic stuff. And Tim finds some things. Again, that 200-200 thing, that's, that's really interesting to me. I think they should put like a counter. I should have said this to him. He's already off the line. I should have said this to him, though, that uh, they should put like a counter somewhere on uh, the the Dairyland Express website with a daily update of where they're at in the the quest for 200 and 200 and uh, get people talking about that because that'd be quite the accomplishment. You know, it's not a shock that that happened with with those Rockies back in 1996. But again, the, the, the names we mentioned there, with all due respect to current Brewers, those names don't don't have quite the really the cachet that those Rockies names had. So, uh, good to talk to Tim, and really appreciate him taking a few moments. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does roll on. And we're very happy as we go down on the farm to uh, welcome back on the program uh, the longtime voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the Midwest League affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, Chris Marion, joins us. Chris, appreciate you taking some time with us. How are you doing? I cannot wait for opening day on Thursday for us up here and for the Brewers on Monday, Matt. Uh, you um, you spent some time down in Arizona, and you guys had one heck of a run at the end of the season last year. Are there many guys from that run at the end of the year expected back with the club this year? I think, I mean, you're not going to see guys like, uh, I, I you're probably not going to see guys like Lucas Ersig come back because of how well he played at the end of the year and how well he's played this spring. Isan Diaz is obviously not back, and even guys like Corbin Burns aren't going to be back. But I think um, the rosters will be announced officially on uh, on when, on Tuesday, and I think we're probably going to have somewhere between 9 to 12 guys who were part of last year's team back with us this year. How important is that for the team being able to get off on a good start to have those guys who were part of that last year? Well, I, I don't know, um, because a lot of the guys that I think are coming back weren't here in April. They were all post-draft guys that came up to us, so they played through the good weather. Um, I mean, yes, going through the league once is going to help, but you know that first 30-degree uh, night in April in, in Clinton or something like that, that's, gonna, that's something they're not going to ever have experienced. So I, I, the thing is, I think that Matt Erickson, who's back as the manager again this year for, you know, another year for Matt, his first year was back in 2011. I think he lets the guys know what to expect, especially when he gets down to the, the core group of guys that he's going to be working with. And another thing that I've noticed is that a lot of the guys who have gone through Wisconsin will tell guys that are coming to Wisconsin, hey, what to expect and what kind of competition they're going to be seeing at this level. We're talking with Chris Marion. He is the voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. You spent some time down in Arizona, and uh, as minor league camp uh, continued on after uh, even big league camp, uh, in the games that you saw involving, in all likelihood, future Timber Rattlers, who really jumped off the page? Um, well, you know, someone who really did was was Monte Harrison again, and I, I think it looks like Monte is going to be back for a third year. 
Um, hopefully he will be able to stay healthy, and I don't think he would stay very long here if he does come here. But, uh, you know, Monte was working on some stuff. He put on about uh, 20 pounds of muscle, which, I mean, he, he had plenty of muscle last year coming in, but I think he's put on some weight. Uh, the, the good weight. I talked to him. He said he spent time in, in Florida this year working out and getting ready for the season. And another thing, you know, Harrison has struck out a lot, and he's the first person to admit that in his first three years in the Brewers organization. But um, I was down there, and he was working on a couple of two strike, you know, his two striker poach, and he had, I think, three or four opposite field hits with two strikes on him. And he even came up to me and said, you know, did you notice that? And I go, I did. And he said, uh, you know, that's something where last year or the year before I'd just roll over on it or or miss it completely. So he's really made a, a very nice uh, adjustment, and hopefully that carries over to the start of this year. Um, I think Brewers fans are really going to like, if he does come here, uh, Ronnie Gideon, who was the uh, first baseman in Helena last year. He hit 17 home runs in the Pioneer League, which is a short season league, and he hit one of the longer home runs I've seen this spring down there. And, uh, you know, they, those were just two of the offensive guys that stood out for me. Yeah, Monte Harrison's interesting. You mentioned being banged up, but, you know, a guy who might come back for his third year at low A ball, generally you don't think of those guys in prospect status, but he's still a top 30 guy when you look at the publications. Does that just speak to the enormous amount of potential that he has? And definitely. And and the, the really the the thing about Harrison is I mean, he's still he's still younger than a couple of the draft picks that the Brewers have are from last year. So basically he would have just been coming off his uh his junior year of college. He would have been probably a first round pick had he gone to college and played. So I mean where he's at right now and where he's come from, those are both very encouraging. And then where he can go from where he is now, I think that's why a lot of people have him ranked still as a top 20, top 30 prospect in the Brewers organization. And one more follow-up on Ronnie Gideon, because, I mean, the, the home runs he was hitting, I remember talking to uh, to Lane Grindle last year when, when he was down watching him at Helena and just him talking about the home runs that he was hitting. Is, is him being able to get to that next level and be a full-season guy and continue to produce at the full-season level? How how important is that for him to be able to continue his development? Well, I, I, it, it is important for him, I think, to get to this level and to, and to get after it. Um, you know, Kyle Loebner did an article with, uh, with Ronnie uh, for the Timber Adler's website earlier this year. And one of the things that they had talked about was, uh, you know, the weather in Wisconsin. He was actually looking forward to playing in some cold weather to see what he could do here. And and the other thing, too, is the last game I was at uh, was in Goodyear, and that's uh, they're playing the, uh, the Indians uh, Midwest League affiliate down there. And a uh, gentleman came up and started talking to Ronnie and said, i got to go, we've got a game tonight. And he said, okay, Dad, I'll see you later. And then it all clicked. Ronnie Gideon's dad is on the major league staff for the Colorado Rockies. So, I mean, Ronnie has kind of been through, you know, he, he knows what it takes at the professional level to uh, to try to succeed. And I think that the, the Rattler fans are, are going to really enjoy him if he does make the trip north this season with the team. Let's uh, let's talk about a few other guys. Uh, Gilbert Lara, if he is in uh, Appleton this year, uh, what what would be the expectations of him? Well, I think the the sky is the limit for Gilbert. Um, he, uh, you know, he was a very highly thought of prospect. Very, you know, a couple of years ago when he signed, and this would be his first season in full season ball after a couple of years of struggling down in Helena. I think uh, the fans are, are really going to be. I mean, look at his size. I mean, he's six four, one ninety eight. Um, he's still. You know, he he doesn't. He's still only 19 years old. He won't turn, won't turn 20 until October. Um, he was playing some third, playing some short. You know, the the Brewers like the versatility in their players. And uh, you know, he had a home run in one of the games that I saw and uh, did pretty well. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Obviously, still young, but I think if he does play to the potential, 
uh, everybody's going to like him, not just Rattler fans, but but Brewer fans are, are really going to like that. We're talking with Chris Marion. He is the longtime voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, getting his thoughts on what he saw when he was down at Arizona uh, and trying to guess about some of the guys who may be uh, with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers this year. Again, the rosters for the minor league affiliates won't be officially announced until uh, coming up on Tuesday morning. Catcher is uh, maybe one position in the Brewers organization that from a depth standpoint they don't they don't have quite as uh, uh, quite as much, and uh, you know they're they're so loaded in so many other position groups. Uh, Mario Feliciano is a catcher who may be with the Timber Rattlers this year. Is he's he's a ways away from the big league level, but is he someone who maybe eventually is going to become the everyday catcher for the Brewers? Well, right now he is he is 18 years old. He does not tur- turn 19 until November, so that's how young he is. I mean, he played last year in uh what was it the Arizona League as a seventeen year old and then spent time in instructional league as a seventeen year old. Um talking with Matt Erickson, I, I did get a chance to see Mario uh, Feliciano catch a couple of days down there. Um asked Matt about, you know, what he thought of having an eighteen year old being able to handle the pitchers and being able to do his, you know, work with the defense and also take care of himself uh, as far as hitting goes and that's it he didn't think there would be any problems with uh, Feliciano doing that because he is uh, just very talented as a catcher Um, you know this far out it's tough to say if he would become the everyday catcher for the Brewers in like four or five years but uh, I I think that if he can come in and, and you know put together a nice start here he would uh, stick the whole season with Wisconsin, and then that would just give him some confidence to just keep building on in his minor league career. Chris, when I was working with you in the Midwest League and I was working with the Royals organization, I remember Salvador Perez, and I think he was 18 years old as well when he was uh, when he had his year in the Midwest League. I mean, and we've seen what's happened with him. There's something there's something notable, I think, when you've got a guy that young that an organization feels confident putting at full season ball to be to be a catcher, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Matt, Matt, we had we had dinner with the coaching staff on on the Sunday that I was down there, and he just said he kind of actually pointed out, you know, this this Feliciano kid, he is better than any high school catcher that the Brewers have have had um, since he's been in the organization. And that was. You know, that's going back to when he was a player uh, when the Brewers had an affiliate in Indianapolis and being a, a major leaguer. So, and Matt's been a coach in the organization since 2009. And for him to actually single out a player that young, um, that is a really good sign. Another guy I talk about that might be on the team, Braden Webb. Uh, he he's not he doesn't show up in as many of the uh, the lists that you see. But it seems like this is a kind of an interesting guy that might really develop into something. Would you agree with that assessment? I I, I really would. Uh, I saw him pitch uh, one day down there, and he was uh, very good. I looked up his stuff from uh, South Carolina. He was actually a draft-eligible freshman that fell to the Brewers in the third round after being having an outstanding season with, with a very good baseball program in South Carolina. So I, I think uh, I, I didn't really see how hard he was throwing or what he was throwing, but the other team was having trouble hitting it. So um, you're probably going to see him, if not at the start of the season, at some point in Wisconsin uh, this year. And uh, he has, you know, he's a little older, but he also doesn't have a lot of experience due to missing a couple of or a year with an injury. So um, I think uh, people are really, really going to like him. Timber Rattlers this year. Now you guys start at uh, you, your first home game is on Saturday. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, open up Saturday, four o five against the Quad Cities River Bandits. That's the first game of a five game homestand uh, to open up our home schedule. The team actually opens up on the road on Saturday or on Thursday, April sixth in Quad Cities with a couple of uh, evening games down in Iowa. Obviously, you guys put on a heck of a show. Anybody who goes and watches Timber Rattles games knows how, how great of a job the organization does. Uh, anything anything different, anything new around the ballpark or with the way things are going to be this year? 
Um, we've got a couple of things uh, in the works as far as uh, some stadium improvements. Uh, we, we're not ready to quite announce what it is, but everyone's going to see what it is when we, when we do that. Um, but they are going to want to try some of the new food items that we've got up here and some of the new food areas, um, you know, because we are doing some, some things with that. Um, just some different burgers, uh, some different hot dogs, and uh, just some different concessions areas in the ballpark. I know you probably don't get to the concession stand all that often, but when you do, what is the go-to item for Chris Marion? Well, I'm I try to eat healthy, and they've had like a, 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 a chicken Caesar wrap that's really good from upstairs. Um, the, the new item that the, the new chef has been pushing off on me, but I'm telling him, Hey, I can't eat this like an hour before the broadcast is the, uh, is the, uh, it's called a, uh, it's called a barbecue piggy burger. It's a quarter pound burger topped with barbecue pulled pork, cheese sauce, and fried onions. And, uh, I don't know if I would want to try that. The other one is the barnyard burger. It's, uh. It's a one-pound burger with a fried chicken breast and crispy bacon uh, along with American cheese, and the bun is Belgian waffles. So, again, I I would love to try it, but I don't think I would be able to finish it by the time the broadcast would start. And then, you you know how it goes in the middle of a broadcast there, Matt. It's uh, yes, I do. So that I'm gonna I'm gonna make it up to uh, to Appleton at some point during the course of the year for the game, and I can eat as much stuff as I want. I don't have to worry about anything. So uh, so I'll definitely be trying some of that stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, you'll have to report to me on how those taste. I can uh, I can certainly do that. I encourage people to check uh, your guys' broadcast out. Uh, Get it to uh, the Timber Rattlers website at timberrattlers.com. Do you guys stream the broadcast through milb.tv for the home games and everything? Uh, Yes, all 70 home games are available on MILB TV. A few of our road games are with the uh, road team call. Uh, the, the season opener in Quad Cities, that is on MILB TV. Our games in Cedar Rapids are on MILB TV. And uh, a few of the games in the Eastern Division as well. And uh, you can tune in on, the, on your smartphone or uh, streaming device with the TuneIn radio app uh, to hear all of the uh, all 140 games this season uh, of the call. That sounds great, Chris. Uh, enjoy uh, the first month or so of the season. We'll get you back on uh, here probably in a month or so. All right. Thanks, Matt. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking about a lot of these great Brewers prospects. That's Chris Marion, the longtime voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Appreciate him taking some time with us today. Of course, uh, you can uh, you can listen to uh, to Chris and, and the Timber Rattlers and everything on their website. If you want to follow Chris, by the way, on Twitter, definitely encourage you to uh, do so. He is at C Marion C M E H R I N G. Uh, he's got the he's got his blog up at the Timber Rattlers website, podcast, all kinds of stuff that he does. So uh, make sure to check him out. We're so lucky to have uh, such a great organization like the Timber Rattlers, uh, just a stone's throw away from where uh, the Brewers are playing, and it's a great opportunity for folks uh, really in the northern part of the state, very close by, and you know it's not that far of a drive from uh, from people in Milwaukee and Madison and so forth. So uh, great to talk to Chris, and we'll have him on again in a month or so. All right, so this is uh, this is it. By the time we talk to you again, we're going to be a week or so into the season. Now, again, hopefully, uh, if you were listening to this uh, after opening day, hopefully our conversations were uh, generic enough that uh, everything still uh, was was okay to listen to. That's what we're going to try to do now, have somewhat more uh, general conversations, as we know our listeners uh, listen to this uh, throughout the week and not just as it drops on Sunday night or Monday morning or what it might be. But as we do look ahead to the schedule over the next week or so opening day is on monday at miller park and by the way over at 620 wtmj it's it's handled uh going to have some sort of presence at the ballpark on the air every minute of the day between 5a and 9p 
Doug Russell's going to be in the dugout doing sports during uh, the morning show. Jeff Wagner is going to be in the dugout doing his show. Scafidi and Billstad's going to be just outside the ballpark. And then uh, then we'll get into the broadcast at uh, 12.35. When that's over, Wisconsin's afternoon news and Sports Central both uh, right outside the ballpark. So we've got you absolutely covered. So the home opener is on Monday the 3rd against the Rockies. That is a 1-10 game. They will play uh, in all four games against the Rockies. Tuesday at 6.40, Wednesday at 7.10, and then they finish it up with an afternoon game on Thursday, a game that will get started at 12.40. Then the Cubs come into town for a three-game Friday, Saturday, Sunday series, and uh, all those uh, those games will start Friday at 7.10, Saturday at 6.10, and Sunday at 1.10 before Monday the 10th is an off day, and then they hit the road for the first time this season. And, of course, you can hear all the games on 620 WTMJ. We certainly appreciate you being tuned in today. Again, uh, check out uh, everything that we've got going from a brewer standpoint on WTMJ. Uh, the podcast page that you probably access this uh, this from, if you do it at WTMJ.com or on the mobile app, uh, we're going to have a lot of content on here. Encourage you to be listening uh, after Brewers games on WTMJ for uh, Brewers Extra Innings, the regular radio show. That's the post-game show that I host after uh, most Brewers games. The day games uh, during the week, we don't uh, we do not do the Brewers Extra Innings for, but all weekend games and all weekday night games, we get to it. All right, I want to say thank you to my guests today, uh, both Tim Muma from Dairyland Express and Chris Maring from the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.